Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of Here We Go Again, Israeli Politics. This week, we'll be doing a deep dive, special episode into the power of the unions, the Histadrut. Before we begin, we will go through the political topics of the week, and then if you're interested in skipping straight to the deep dive on the Histadrut, you can skip to minute 14 of the episode to listen to that. Pfizer vaccine not approved by the FDA for booster shot, only for risk groups. Iron Dome money removed from the U.S. budget and then returned after pushback. And we discussed the unions. This is Here We Go Again. And for our first topic. The FDA has decided to not approve a booster shot for the Pfizer vaccine after more than 3 million Israeli citizens have already received it. This comes after the Israeli government had been pushing hard for the government to be, uh, for the booster shot to be approved by the FDA. So had been the American administration to start giving the booster shot to the people in the states. Um, this is also whilst the Israeli government is moving to restrict anyone who does not have a third vaccine shot, the third booster shot, um, and to um, give them back to the restrictions of, as if people who did not get vaccinated. Um, this is, as of Thursday, uh, being reported that it will include also children above 12 that did not get the third vaccine or uh, both sick, and it has been more than half a year. Uh, they will not be allowed to enter schools. Um, this is a serious move, and it seems to be a overreach on government authority, especially with the fact that it was not approved by the FDA, this booster shot. That being said, the booster shot was approved for 65 and above or different risk groups um, because it was deemed more necessary for such groups. Okay, so there's a couple things we have to understand about the, the approval or the disapproval of the FDA for the booster shot. That we have to be very clear about what their claims were. They stated, and there's a lot of legitimacy behind that, um, which is the fact that there's no dangers found in this shot. There's no reasons to think there's an issue here, but... As their process goes through, there is not enough data accumulated to confirm and give a full confirmation that the FDA gives, saying it's safe, good, there's no problem with it, everyone should do it. That's exactly the reason that they all approved, um, unanimously approved it for 65 and above and for risk factors, because it's very clear that it is what will help you be safe. With that, they're saying not enough data has been given. So it doesn't directly, you know, a lot of people right away were trying to go against everything that happened in Israel. There's no direct issue with that for the fact that in Israel they gave it, it's a question of how you play the game of data. Now, with that, there also you cannot ignore that there's a lot of political, <laughs> hashtag Israeli politics, but there's a lot of political issues in uh, the organization of the FDA and in the way they approve things, and there's a lot of inner politics that happens there. We're not going to go into that in the podcast itself, but we can't ignore that. It has to be mentioned that they have their own politics uh, um, as well, and they're not just a purely objective medical uh, system. Now... Once they disapprove this, the real question is, is how it affects uh, our country and goes through. Now, an interesting thing to understand, which is happening in Israel, is on the one hand, we are the number one most vaccinated country in the world for third vaccines. We have, uh, what was it, over 3 million, you said? Over 3 million people in the, first va- in the, in the third vaccine and only 6 million in the first vaccine. Okay. Um, and but what does it mean that we are the highest vaccinated in the world, the third vaccine, but we are one of the least vaccinated countries in the world? which is such an interesting uh, uh, thing to understand. Why is that? Because we st- started the second round of the vaccines, which completed the, you know, the, the two uh, shots needed for to be vaccinated before almost any other country, which means that at this point, which is six months past that time, 
our vaccines are now ahead. Our expiration of the vaccines is ahead of everyone else, and therefore we're actually less vaccinated. So other countries, including America, which yes, some people got vaccinated very early on, but the mass of the population got vaccinated less than six months ago. Therefore, they still have about a month or two until they need to revaccinate the mass of the people. Therefore, the FDA, we have said, is less pressure to give their approval right now. They can give their approval in a month or in two months from now and still get the overall majority of 12-year-olds and above will still be within the first six months, where in Israel, that's no longer the case. And that's why it's more important to vaccinate people faster here. But it is a very fair argument from those who are coming um, against the vaccine, not even against the vaccine, people who got vaccinated the first time, the second time, but are wary to get vaccinated a third time. They don't know what the repercussions be, what the health measures be, because we have no studies on this. And for those people who are now, the, the FDA did not come and approve this, and yet the government is going on more and more drastic measures to inherently force them to get the vaccine, lest they be ostracized from society. So my, my answer to you is, this is exactly the reason that I say time and time again that the, the, the system in our country has an issue because we're, we don't have the, the state's option. We don't have an option. You know, one of the things I, I don't personally, I think the government's right. Like not, not the government. I think the decision of saying you should allow people to close out their vaccine, in my personal opinion, is right. My issue is it is with the fact that an Israeli that does not agree with that and he has the right to not agree with that doesn't have another choice. Okay, and what does that mean if I compare it to a certain thing in the United States where I don't think this should be a federal decision, I think this should be a state's decision. But if I'm in a certain state and my state decided, or my uh, educational School district. district decided that in this district you have to be vaccinated with the third vaccine to be able to do school, that's okay, that's fair, because I have the right to get up and go to school in a different district. If it's really important to me that my child will not get vaccinated, I go in the district. There's no choice in this country to just go somewhere else, and that's the issue you have. Uh, I agree, but either way, whilst I'm very supportive of vaccines and truly miraculous and whatnot, I don't think it's fair to attempt to force the people to get a vaccine without the FDA approval on it, without even, let's say, emergency approval. I think it's a dangerous move, especially since our own body doesn't have clear measures on how we approve or disapprove um, health measures. One of the biggest uh, criticisms of the health ministry and the body governing the health ministry, the committee, is that none of, of their discussions are public. None of their reasonings are made public or why they decide certain decisions. And I don't think it's fair to come from a governance perspective. And it's, it kind of goes over people's rights to, uh, for their freedom. Um, now the government's going to force them to take a shot every six months to come and take shots. Now I understand on long-term vaccines that have many studies or that have more drastic measures for the population if you, if you do get sick. But for this kind of a vaccine, for something that we do not know any effects of yet, I think it's too drastic a measure for the government to have taken this early. Okay, for our next topic. The Iron Dome money was removed earlier this week from the American budget. What does this mean? Uh, there was a billion dollars set to be sent to Israel um, for Iron Dome, Dome money. This is for the rockets for the Iron Dome that protect Israel's cities from rockets from the Gaza Strip. Um, and it was sent to be part of the general budget and then at the push of radical democrats uh, mainly from the squad it was removed from the budget um, and then it was later in the week um, on wednesday afternoon it was discussed being put back in and thursday it was voted to be put back in now this caused an uproar uproar both in the states and abroad and in israel um, one of the planners of this move was aoc and she commented that in this, um, this is from her Twitter account, 
Uh, in this year's NDAA, I've introduced seven amendments, including blocking spe specific U.S. weapons transactions to Saudi Arabia, whatever, Colombia, and the Israeli government over the bombing of Palestinian civilians and media centers. Now, before we get to the rest of the comments online on this, I would just like to react to this specific tweet by stating the fact that for those who are not aware somehow, the Iron Dome is used only in defense. It cannot be used in another measure. It is simply to fire down other rockets that are being shot at civilian targets in Israel. It would most likely cause considerably more Palestinian death if the Iron Dome was not in the hands of Israel, because then Israel would have to retaliate heavily to every rocket thrown at it. Uh, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, some of the other people who commented on this and um, were Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Republican leader, who uh, who cried on the Gem uh, on the Democrats capitulating to anti-Semitism. Uh, Ted Cruz, um, who also decried Democratic leadership to um, to anti-Semitic left uh, on how much Israel needs the funding for the Iron Dome to save both Israeli and Palestinian lives. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence called the action a disgrace. Um, the APAC uh, put out a video explaining what the Iron Dome does and how it saves lives. Um, an ambassador from Israel to the United States and to uh, the United Nations, uh, Gilad Erdan, uh, said that he expects from a congressperson to understand that Israel is defending its citizens against Hamas, a designated terrorist organization, and this amendment further legitimized their heinous, heinous attacks against innocent civilians as well as their anti-Semitic lies. Okay, so... Hmm. Let, me, let me try to give you another perspective, um, and I want you to hear it. Now, before I even start this, I'll be very clear to our listeners, I'm playing at devil's advocate um, in, in my next sentence, and I'm going to try to give it a perspective. I obviously agree with what you're saying. I obviously support the Iron Dome. I think it's one of the most incredible uh, uh, inventions by the uh, Israeli army, and, and America's been supporting it for years. But when we look at AOC's comments... As insane, as ridiculous, and as basically purely anti-Semitic she is as a person. Let me ask you this question, Benjamin. We create a armored jeep, okay? And a, an armored jeep in a level that you can't, there's no way to penetrate it, okay? Now this armored jeep has no weapons, has no missiles, has nothing, okay? All it does is protect the people inside it, okay? But we use this jeep to then enter into Palestinian lands we go deep into lands because they can't touch this jeep because it's indefensible. And when we get in there, and then the army then goes, arrests, shoots, kills, whatever they need to do within their in which within the the land, gets back in the jeeps and comes home. Okay. Now, in that perspective, just because the jeep it is it's a purely defensive machine, it can only defend, and it's defending soldiers. But in the end, the fact that that jeep exists gives those soldiers the ability to then kill other people. So now, the Iron Dome, from some perspective, is the same thing. The fact, again, that the Iron Dome is designed for defense doesn't change the fact that it gives us an ability to go to war without a worry. And this is what happens. The Israeli government could go to a mission in Gaza with basically no fear. It's only like a political fear because people have to go into bomb shelters sometimes, but, which I'm sorry to like lower the level of that, but people aren't really in much danger because of the Iron Dome, thank God. Okay? But... In this situation, they're able to go to a mission, and if the mission has to go another two days, another five days, it's not a big deal, because I have this armored vehicle, aka the Iron Dome protecting my citizens, and then I can continue bombarding Gaza, continue destroying buildings, continue killing people, 
And while I'm at it, we're we're defended. So in some perspective, in a in a in a side way, the fact that it's defensive is actually giving us an ability to hurt more Gaza citizens. So your scenario isn't comparable. Um, your scenario would be more along the lines for if you're bringing a uh, metaphor of an armored truck. Um, it would be an armored truck that drives along the border and brings food from one um, base to another base. The armored truck doesn't go into Gaza. The armored truck um, wouldn't function unless it is attacked. And that's the inherent scenario here. It doesn't give you the ability to attack. All it does is defend. And whilst it sounds horrible to say this, and I don't agree with the sentiment, but it's how the Israeli government works, it saves Palestinian lives, much more than it saves Israeli lives. Because if the Iron Dome did not exist, then every one of the rockets, every one of the 3,400 rockets that were shot in the last um, uh, attack on Israel in the last war, would have to have a serious retaliation that would lead to many, many Palestinian deaths. Because such a death toll on the Israeli side would not be acceptable. But yes, when it comes to money, the Israeli side doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as much. Because if you wasted a billion lives, but you didn't need to attack that billion dollars, but you didn't need to attack that much, that is fair and that is acceptable as long as you're not leading to a massive death toll on either side. And therefore, I think it is hypocritical and disgusting to say that you're fighting for Palestinian lives whilst truly just causing, if, you, if there was no Iron Dome, it would lead to considerably more death of Palestinian lives than Israeli lives. This is clearly an anti-Semitic attack, and no, this is not an anti-Zionist attack, because all that this could do is lead to Israeli deaths. It is not about a protection, so-called, it would just lead to Israeli deaths. And this leads to also the fact that there are many Israeli politicians now in the States working on uh, this fact. And Prime Minister uh, Bennett is currently uh, going to be flying um, Sunday night and speaking Monday morning in front of the UN General Convention. We will discuss it next week after his speech uh, occurs um, and compare it and contrast to previous speeches that uh, Pr uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has done from that podium, seeing as both speeches will most likely be discussing the Iranian problem. And now we will move on to the main topic of this episode, the Histadrut, which is the Israeli Union. Um, now, before we start off, you know, one of the reasons we decided to bring this up is in uh, this week, Miri Regev, a high up member, Knesset member uh, from the Likud party, has, and we've mentioned in a couple weeks ago, that there were some rumors of her going to run to become the head of the union. She denied it. And uh, we stated at the time the reason this was interesting is because the Likud is a theoretically a right wing uh, capitalistic party, but the Stadruch is a socialist left-wing body, and her running for it would just basically show us a lot of things about the Likud and about the members of the Likud. But after she denied it this past week, she actually joined the union as a member. And the reason this is interesting is because the only way you're allowed to run as the head of the union is you must be a member to run. But now, why don't you give us some history and some understandings of how the Stadruch works and where it comes from? Happily. So, um, first, we are going to be referring to the unions in Israel, the union body that controls everything, as the Histadrut, because that is their name in Israel. Um, to clarify, there are two Histadruts. Um, one is the Histadrut, uh, the old-fashioned one, and one is the Histadrut Leumit. We'll get a little bit later to what the difference is and why there are two bodies. 
Now, before we get to the historical facts about this body and everything that they've done and all that led to where they are now, we also understand this body controls a massive amount of power in this country. They also make the lives of the people in this country miserable on many, many fronts. We'll get to the details of how and why later. But this is why it's important to discuss and know the history of this body to know where they get all their power from that they will we they wield to disastrous measures as we'll see later on in the episode. But first things first that we need to know historically, they predate the state of Israel. Um, the Hestadrut uh, was founded in 1920, also by the founder of this country, uh, David Ben-Guyon um, and Chaim Bensi. Uh, both were founders of the Hestadrut. They were founded by many of the socialist parties uh, that wanted to unionize the workers of Israel. Uh, they wanted to also, ha they had also many political aspirations and plans um, throughout them. Uh, they grew to their prime in the 60s and 70s. Um, and then they deci decidedly crashed as the country moved to the right during the Begin era. Um, and then they fully crashed during the 80s, leading to a 1994, they decided to revitalize themselves as just a union for workers. Now, back to a little bit more on the history. As we stated earlier, they predated the country. They were uh, the Hestadut was founded in 1920 by the socialist parties. Um, their goals were to um, help workers throughout Israel and to uh, help the workers realize the dream of um, Israelis of Jewish people on their land. Um, that being said, when the government was founded, a lot of the organization's uh, responsibilities were transferred over to the government because this organization um, held many of the welfare, welfare programs and such thing that are now done by the government and other such bodies um, uh, that was transferred over to them. Um, aside from the fact that after the after that some of the welfare programs were moved over to the government, post the founding of the country, they still held on to a large portion of their economic and social structures. Um, for around 30 years, they held very bad economic stances and most of their works was inefficient and incredibly complicated. They were against the free market or competition. They did not have, they fought ideologically against the uh, world that was changing around them that had an employee and employer. And this came to a front that in the 80s, as we mentioned, they, were su they had such a break that they shut down the original company that they wrote in this new country. Um, and they decided to sell off all of its parts. And in 1994, they joined as the U new union's workers. Now, today, what is happening with them? Um, they today have a union on most of the bodies of this country. All of the unions are under them. The teachers unions, the hospitals unions, uh, the unions on the Air Force of the, the Citizens Air Force, um, the buses unions, the people who work in the ports, all of them are under the same union. That means they have an immense amount of power in the country because if they do not like the deal that they got to with the Port Authority, they can shut down schools tomorrow. And how pissed are the people gonna be at the government when uh, the people in the schools, when, when I don't care about what's happening in the ports, but my kid can't go to school tomorrow and therefore I can't go to work. 
Or, for example, we're fighting about the schools, so I'm going to shut down the buses tomorrow. So, oh, I don't really care about what the schools are happening because I don't have a kid. But I would like to get to work tomorrow, but I can't because there's no bus. Um, they have a lot of power. And a lot of this power comes from corrupt issues. One of the laws that caused major corruption in this body and caused a lot of issues for the people was it's what's called Chokashlish. It is the law of thirds. It states that if a third of a company or public body or so on and so forth uh, decides to vote and state that we want this union to come and unionize by us, they force the rest of the members of the company to unionize with that union. This means that every member of that company now has to negotiate their contract through the union, which hurts both the, the workers, the employees, and of course the employer, and of course the customer who receives the product in the end of the day because of this unionizing. Now, this is just one of the small issues that we have with them today. Um, they cause a lot of issues within um, the economy, and we'll get to that in a little bit. These are just showing the immense amount of power that they have throughout the country because they force more and more people to join in consistently to uh, the union. Now, they do this when it sounds very nice. They say, we'll deal with you, we'll make sure it's good for you, and you do get deals, and um, they have special deals in different stores for the people, and they theoretically take care of their own, but they do cause many, many issues because, first of all, just the idea of a public union, a union in the public sector, is a big problem. Um, and this isn't just necessarily about the Stadlut, but it's any public union because they are, in theory, going to strike against the government, but the government can't pay them more because the government doesn't have more money to pay them, in theory. They're striking as if against themselves. They are also striking on things that they cannot strike on. They cannot just shut down the schools. Every 1st of September in this country, we are not sure if the schools are going to open. This happens every single year. You hear on the news, on the week leading up to it, uh, Yaffa Ben David, who is the currently the head of the teachers' unions under the general union, um, is fighting with the government and is debating if to do a worker strike against uh, the country. They have a lot of power to do things and to get a lot of money for their workers. Okay, so before we get into the uh, effects they have on the economy and on all the citizens, you mentioned earlier that they were founded prior to the country's uh, um, declaration, 1926, I believe. 1920, they were founded. 1920? Why does that matter? Why does it have an effect? Why does it make a difference that they were created in 1920? So, aside from the fact that that means that they've been entrenched in Israeli life before the idea of Israeli life existed, it gives them a lot of power. We mentioned a few weeks ago that uh, Gidon Sal, the current uh, minister of law, uh, in this country, signed a, a bill that stated that it's, it was called Chok Shkifut Ogdot Otmaniot, meaning unions um, from the Ottoman Empire have to uh, show um, all of their bank accounts. What does that mean? Um, they're black box. They're union members. Um, you, me, whoever has to pay into them. I don't pay into a union, uh, thank God. Um, and yet. Yet. <laughs> and... Uh, we they pay we, they pay into into them a certain amount and the union gets to spend that money now that money is a black box no one knows where that money goes or what happens with it no one knows how much money they have even now I understand the concept of saying I don't want to know how much money you have because I don't want the government to or the company to say I'll last you five more days 
and then uh, you have no more money. But it, this led to major corruption and major conspiracy theories over where does all the money of the Histadut go if they don't, if they're not willing to tell their own members what they're doing with the money. This is immense amount of money we're talking about. This is a nice portion of the country that are members of the union. They all pay their dues. Companies pay them as well, partially. So does the government gives them money, and no one knows what happens with that money or where it goes. And the worst part of the fact that Gidon Saad decided to sign the fact saying that everyone must be at least show uh, that everyone must be up in front and do tax returns on exactly how much money they have and what happens with it. He gave them an exemption. They still do got an exemption because once again, they hold a lot of political power and they were given an exemption and only union members who request it will be able to receive one, which is a big step forward. So this passed um, um, around two months ago. We did mention it on the podcast. No, I thought the law passed. I didn't know the Stadrut got out of it. So That they got out of it? it apparently, it was in the original thing. It was only published around a month ago on Chadashat Shtemesli that they were given an exemption on them, Istadrut uh, Amorim, and anyone so under them. All of the large ones that are the main issues, that's who got out of it. Yes. Only the little ones are, uh, the little guy got uh, screwed. Well, whilst it is good that they will have to be up in front with their own union members, it is still not enough. Okay, so we were just discussing how they affect the economy. And the question is, what are the issues that they cause? How do they actually affect us as citizens and the Israeli economy in general as an istadot? Okay, so they have a lot of different things. We'll give you uh, just a few examples. We already mentioned the Chok which is the Law of Thirds. Um, they also created um, a Matzol Yami. They created a sea uh, blockade. Now this sounds, what? This body has a, the ability to create a sea blockade? Yes, they do. And um, in April of 2018, um, when they were fighting with the government once again, they decided to shut down all the ports because they have the union of the ports. And they were also were violent against anyone else who attempted to come and work there until the government paid up what they wanted and gave them a serious bonus for the people at the ports um, and, and got it and moved forward with that. Now you have to understand how big of a deal this is and how much they affect. For anyone who did the process of making Aliyah and then bringing their container shipment uh, by boat knows what a tedious and difficult process it is to release that container from the ports. They have no goal of working for you. You have to get it to go. They charge you for everything that, that is done there. Works very slow. They'll end up saying, sorry, we're just off for the next X amount of days. And also you're going to pay for every day that we're not working and we're storing it for you. A lot of issues that they have. And this is one of the things they're doing. There's, there's no competition because they're all run by the same istadot. Right. There's a union who also won't allow competition because, as we'll get to later on, they control the politics of this country. For example, the head of the istadot who did this mess in the uh, on the ports, who then they got billions of shekel from Israelis for their um, for bonuses and pensions. Um, he is uh, Avinisan Cohen, um, who was a the minister of law last time around, and who created a major issues for the rights going forward um, on this issue. Um, this also created a precedent for uh, the Chevrat Hashmal, which is the Electric Company of Israel, um, who uh, is strikes on a yearly basis. 
um, and goes almost bankrupt on a yearly basis, but because that they strike and because that they are unionized, the government bails them out on a consistent basis, which happened once again in 2019. Um, another of the major issues that they cause is the teachers um, and the teachers unions. The teachers unions are under them. Teachers unions are inherently evil because that they cause the fact that A, you have less good quality teachers because you cannot fire bad teachers. They also are consistently shutting down the schools every year for this reason or another. Um, the so fact- Let's just be clear, the teachers aren't evil, it's the union we are claiming is evil. Yes. Teachers Te are wonderful. Yes, teachers are wonderful. Teachers do a great job of helping students and pushing them forward. The unions hurt the teachers because they make sure that you only get raises on um, on how long you've been in the union, not on how long and how good of a teacher you are. You're not allowed to fight for teachers. You're not allowed to fire teachers, as you mentioned. If a teacher is a bad teacher, he cannot be fired. I had many experiences with my years in school with bad teachers, and I was informed that they are not allowed to be fired. Um, that should never happen. They cause this. That, among many other issues, they also threaten as we mentioned, the entire economy with strikes constantly. Um, and they lead to the fact that um, they do not allow any importing. As we mentioned previously, um, in previous episode, in, uh, as part of Chokas Delim now, they're pushing for importing fruits and vegetables um, and for importing eggs and milk. The main people opposing this are the Histadut and with all of their might. Um, and they are bringing their might to bear and that's why it most likely will fail. Um, they are the ones who block any importing because they are the ones who gain from it. Because it's their members who are part of the union. And if I could shut down the entire economy because you want to import some uh, cucumbers, then I'm going to do it. And that is some of the major issues. Of course, these are not all of them. There are many, many more issues uh, that they cause, but these are some of the major issues. Now, let's get to the reasons behind why they have this power, i.e. the politicians, and what can be done to fix it. So before we get into those, it's important for me to understand from you, they're not all evil. It's it, the whole system, like, there must be something that they're good for. There must be something they're positive. They exist for many years. The question is, who do they help and what do they help with? So it's not that they're necessarily all evil. The system that they built is evil. And the concept that they're trying to forward is evil. Now, what they try to do in their, in their founding was a nice idea in Fairyland. They were working for workers' rights in theory and to help workers and only people who work for themselves. But what they caused was that they, in theory, helped the weakest person of the pack. They helped the teacher who's not really that good at their job. They helped the person in the Port Authority who doesn't like to show up to work on time who is not that great at their job. And they screw the people who are good at their jobs because the person who's not great at their job can't be fired. And he will get um, his raise when his due is when it comes. So he in theory does help, help him, but their concept is backward because they don't allow, allow for progress to occur at all. All they do is keep everything stuck as it was. And of course they do give their members uh, discounts in different places and some money for different activities. Now, it would be an opinion of people who support them um, that they fight for workers' rights today uh, in the construction zones or in the teachers, uh, uh, workers who they claim are way overworked and way underpaid. Um, and they claim that they fight for them to prove uh, their lives. 
Now, in theory, if you wanted to take on an overall look, yes, maybe every teacher got a bonus, let's say, of 30 shekel this month. That's a random number that I just chose. It has nothing to do with based in actual uh, reality. However, if we look at the long run, both for the teachers and the students, it doesn't work out that way. They look on it in too much of a general perspective that hurts each individual teacher in the long run. So I'll tell you where I have a slight issue with what you're saying. If you go into, for example, nurses, okay? Now, nurses used to make absolutely terrible salaries, okay? They were worked way too hard and they did not make good salaries. And then their union really got involved and there were strikes. And in today's world, again, I would say that nurses should be making double what they're making today. But nurses today make a decent salary. They still work very hard. They need to get better. But who would push them to get better? Because you know what? She's a nurse. You can't just strike tomorrow. So there's got to be a system for them to be able to come in the system. And again, nurses are not like doctors where you have specialist surgeons that can make, you know, so a different hospital fight for them. A nurse is a nurse. Now, obviously, there are better nurses and worse nurses, but you can't be the, you know, some specialty nurse excelled in something. You need to do your job as a nurse to be skillful. Who is there to protect those nurses to make sure that they get decent salaries and they get decent quality conditions? Those nurses, because the fact that they were paid as they were was caused by these salutes in the first place. Because if those nurses could have gone to a different hospital and gotten a different pay easily, and if the competition had been open for them to do that, then I, as let's say Shagat Zedek, would have gone and paid for the best nurses if I had the ability to do so. I am the best hospital in the country, for example. Again, not based on the hospital. Um, and I would have paid for the best nurses. I would have paid them better for better service uh, for a different department, based on department, based on job proficiency and not based on age and years in service. That means a nurse should not be getting paid, um, let's say a 5% raise every two years based on the fact that she's a nurse and she's been doing this for two more years. It should be based on the fact she is the best nurse in the children's department and therefore she's making the best salary in the children's department for nurses and not because of how many years she's been working there. Okay, so now you mentioned politicians. So this is both the source of the politicians' power and the Stadlut's power. Um, it's a never-ending revolving door. Many members of the Stadlut go on to play a role in politics later. I'm talking about the high-up members. Um, the Yoshivoshe Stadlut uh, for their generations have many times gone on to play many major roles in politics, be it from being prime minister to one of the major ministers um, or holding a different position in one of the government-owned companies. An odd concept, I know, but they exist for some reason. Um, they go on to uh, hold positions, be it Avi Nisankohan, as we mentioned, who led the strike against the government. They're fighting against the establishment, and then less than a year later, less than two years later, he was the establishment. He was a, a high-ranking member of the Knesset, and then a year later, he was a high-ranking member, he was a minister in the government. A very high-ranking one at that. As it is, um, the Likud now, Miri uh, Regev, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, is debating if to run for to be the head of the Istadut, because why not? It's not like it's a position that removes her from power. It gives her considerably more power. It gives her a lot more attention from the people. It, um, a, most members of this country are, are they still do it. It's free campaign ads. And then 
she gets to step back into power after affecting change that she wanted. She got to help hold all the power. This goes back to the founding of our country. David Ben Guyon was first the head of the Istituts and then the head of the country. And it goes on throughout the members. The Istituts um, will donate to different campaigns or support, support different candidates um, based on who the head of the Istituts currently um, likes. Now, this leads to major corruption because, um, of course, I'm going to support whatever the Istituts wants because they support my campaign. This leads to major issues within the politicians because they don't want to get on the bad side of the Istitut because they might want, might want to go work there afterwards. Or they need someone else, their cousin that works in the Air Force, in, in the civilian Air Force, to go and get a position next week. But he knows that he won't do it because that the Istitut is going to block it if he, if he doesn't push this bill forward. Major issues with politicians being involved with the unions who control most of the government. Now, the question arises, this is very dystopian and very scary that a body that is never elected by anyone, uh, well, in theory they're elected by the union members, but I mean, I never voted for them, controls so much of my life. How they affect so much of my life from my schooling, to my work, to my drive to work, to what food I'm allowed to import into my country, what can be done against them? So there are a lot of things that can be done against them. And it just takes one strong politician, people who are not afraid of the backlash to get up and do it. As we mentioned, the first step is to be very clear. Where does the money go? You are a non-for-profit organization who supposedly is just there to help you, uh, the workers. Great, that's a great cause. Well, unions aren't great, but it's a great cause. Where does the money go? And when the, when the workers, the members of the union get to see where that money goes, many of them will decide to drop out or many will join and that's great. They will have the freedom to do so. The second and more important law is getting rid of Hokashlish as we mentioned. The Chokashlish is the law of thirds stating that anyone who has a third of a company or a third of a body or members of a union, they force the other two thirds to join and pay their dues as well. Become a right to work state. If I do not want to be a member of a union, I will not be a member of a union. Or I at least get to choose which union I want to be a member of. There is no reason why the union should force me to pay dues if I do not want to be a part of it. That I should be forced to, uh, to make my contract through the unions. Well, do you know why the law was passed? Why Chokashlish was passed? So, I'm not entirely sure as to why it was passed in the first place. There are um, many laws like it around the world, uh, but they usually require either much higher percentages. Um, well, what's the reasoning behind it? It's not, it's obviously not supposed to be ridiculous. There's a reason people supported this. So the reason they supported this is that they were saying that, A, once again, the Istitut only works once they have a mass of employees in every sector because they need to be able to shut down the economy. Now, once they have a mass of employees in every sector, they're saying their claim when they push for this laws through their politicians, through their lobbyists, was that I, as a uh, person that works in a company, now I'm not just me alone, I have a third of this whole company. Now we're getting screwed by this big scary company, and these two other thirds, they just don't care about us. 
So now I'm not hurting them. I can only do good for them by joining a union. But as long as a night as a certain percentage, a third wants to join this union, then they join. Now that sounds ludicrous to your ears, but to someone who believes in unions that unions can only do good, then once a third, that's a nice percentage, agree, then the fact that the two thirds don't want it is negligible because they they'd of course want to join a union. They just don't necessarily want to join this one. But the most people, this is the union that most people want to join. No, so. I don't inherently agree with that. I mean, I, I agree that they should have options to do different unions and therefore, but in the end, if I try to, you know, compare, I, I believe that a third is, is way too low of a number. But let's say we said two third, we said three quarters, whatever amount you got. But if you, you know, compare it to, let's go to like, like, like small politics, you know, like a high school class, whatever it was, okay, or a college, and you have an issue with what your teachers are doing, now you don't have a direct power, you know, the, the teacher could do what he wants. And one of the ways that you could do is that you can you could decide that you're let's say not coming to this certain class or you're boycotting a certain thing which for a good cause that you think they're not doing correctly. Now, you're never gonna get a hundred percent of the people to come. Okay? Now there is a certain number now, do I think as I said a third is ridiculous. If you're a class of thirty people, I think if ten people decide they're not showing up, too bad. There's twenty people, class will continue, you gotta convince more. But if you convince twenty, twenty-five people agree with you, this needs to change. And they didn't come. But there's four or five students that either don't really care, don't really have interest, let's say in this situation are rich enough, they're smart enough, they don't really need help in this class, they don't care the teacher's not good at his teaching because they always do well anyway. So the point is that, yeah, if 25 people all come in and agree, then you know what, class is canceled. I don't need 100% of them, I need an overall majority to then cancel the class. Great, class is canceled. I'm not going to force the students to leave the class. That's the difference. I, the 25 students who didn't want to come, I'm not going to go and forcibly drag out the five students who did. No, come. I will. No, it's not about the. Uh, no, the, the teacher can go cancel it. Meaning, not if the you're teacher, this one second, I'm forcing the teacher to cancel. The teacher doesn't care. I'm coming and saying that if we're not here, because what's the teacher going to do? The teacher's going to continue teaching the class for the four people that are there and say, "Up, oh, I told my class, good luck, everyone, and fail everyone." My point is that if 25 people say this class is not working, it's shut down until it's taken care of. Great, I can do that if. If, let's say, as you mentioned, 25 out of 30 uh, factory employees decide to unionize, okay? I can't force the other five to unionize, but that 25 out of 30 should have created a critical mass enough to force the factory to shut down or to come down to negotiate with that union. I cannot force you to join union just because I wanted to. Now, there are a bunch of options. For example, okay, Canada or the states, okay, um, have, um, you're allowed to unionize, depending on the state, of course, but there are many options. You can unionize based on whoever you want to unionize with or not unionize at all, okay? I can be unionized with different big unions. As we mentioned, there are two of them, okay? Or it requires a certain um, percentage of people to force anyone who wants to unionize to unionize with that specific union. But you can also still go and sign on your own. And which leads to benefits to the employees. And that is what important. Also leads to the fact that the unions, the statutes, cannot go and simply shut down the country. And that is the biggest issue. They can hold this company, this country hostage for whatever it is that they want to forward. And that is the biggest issue. That if we cannot move forward until that is dealt with. Okay, how do we fix it? So as we mentioned, we get rid of Hokkashlish. And we have a politician who's strong enough to not um, want this, uh, these unions and not going to be lulled by the riches that they offer or by the positions that they offer. You need someone who 
it sounds very capital, uh, very wrong to say this, but yes, in theory, it would have to be someone who's rich, as in someone who can be bribed his way out of it, who doesn't need the job later on. Okay, people who have in who worked hard against the unions and who have spoken out against them strongly are people like Neil Bakat, um, the richest Chavir Knesset um, in this country. Um, who was meant to be the Treasury Secretary and then was not the Treasury Secretary in a very public manner. Um, and others, because he would have worked against the unions. The person who replaced him, by the way, as Treasury Secretary, um, was a person who was largely supported by the unions. And his son is the head of the civilian air force, um, the Tasia Virit. Uh, so yes, it's all about the politicians being in coordination with them. Those are one of the steps that can be taken. And another step that can be taken is to attempt to negotiate with private people, as in negotiate with teachers, not negotiate with the union. Also, make public unions illegal. Public unions should never be legal because you cannot strike against the public because the public cannot concede to your demands in any scenario. If you want, go to the voting booth, vote someone else in who will. But you cannot strike against the public. Public unions should never be legal. Also, make the ability, the unions uh, do not, I do not have the ability to fire the entire union. Yes, you are a public union, meaning you serve the public. You can strike all you want. I can also come and fire you all, as Ronald Reagan did uh, with the Port Authority in the United States uh, in the airports. Okay, so that was the Stadut. A very special episode and a very deep dive. And thank you, Benjamin, for doing all the extensive research on the topic. Um, you will be hearing in many episodes in the future the Istadlut coming in. They come into politics basically in, in a, every other week. There's a different topic in which the Istadlut is very relevant and affect us, and we will be bringing it up. So we're happy that you have a better understanding of that um, as, um, after this episode. We welcome you to send us other topics you'd like us to do deep dives on. Uh, we will do the research and give it. If you have any comments or questions on or if we missed anything, please feel free uh, to let us know and we will make corrections in the future um, if needed. We thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Special one at it. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening. This is Here We Go Again. <laughs>